Well, it's great to be uh, with you this morning. Uh, great to meet some of you uh, yesterday evening. So another welcome from me if you've joined us uh, since then. Um, the way these first couple of talks are going to work, we're, gonna, we're looking at a chapter in the Bible, Acts chapter 10, uh, where Peter, a close friend of Jesus, uh, has this incredible encounter, a cross-cultural encounter, uh, with a man called Cornelius. And we're going to zoom in in this session on what um, God is like, what Peter dis- discovers and tells Cornelius what God is like. And in the second session, we're going to zoom out and think about how that knowledge has changed the way Peter acts towards people who are different. Okay, So we're zooming in on what he's learnt about God, and then we're zooming out in the uh, next session on how that's changed uh, his actions. But let me just start by praying, and then we'll read um, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 to 43. It's on your handouts, page 5, and then we'll get going from there. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word, the Bible, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit here with us now to help us to understand it. We pray uh, that you give us uh, minds able to understand and hearts uh, willing uh, to respond in faith and love of the Lord Jesus. Uh, as a result, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So diving in then to what Peter says in this cross-cultural encounter uh, to this man called Cornelius. And verse 34, page 5, if you're using the handouts, it says, Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, Well, um, there's a, a little handout, as I've said, page six, and there's some bits where you can write in So if that's you, 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 that keeps you uh, sticking along with where we are. You you can write some things in uh, as we go. But let me start. I was showing last night that 13 years ago I moved to Battersea with my wife Rachel. We had a vision uh, when we did that. And our vision was that God would help us to start a new community. Uh, A new community where... Uh, people would walk in and see young and old, rich, poor, male, female, black and white, a multicultural, multi-ethnic community that loved one another 
and gladly welcomed others to be part of it. That was our vision. And, and, and it's a vision that fits with, I guess, the direction of the whole of human history that we see in the Bible. We get to Revelation 7, we see this wonderful picture of uh, people from every tribe and language and uh, nation worshipping Jesus. That's the direction of the whole of human history. And, and if you came along to uh, the, the bridge in Battersea, the church that uh, we started, it looks very ordinary and it probably looks very similar to St. John's in many ways. Lots of different people uh, coming together. My point isn't about how great our little church is in Battersea. My point is, what was this vision that, makes, that, that we believed could make any church begin to move in this direction? What was it that gave us confidence that the God that we worshipped could make this happen in Battersea, when in fact there's every reason to expect that when you bring different people together, there would be all kinds of racial tension? The, the Office of National Statistics tells us that last year there were 55,000 hate crimes reported. Four out of five of those were race-related. Uh, people from minority ethnic groups are one and a half times more likely to go to prison uh, than someone who is uh, a, a white uh, British person, for example, committing the same offence. You're ten times more likely to be stopped and searched if you are black uh, compared to uh, another uh, um, uh, ethnicity. And, and those figures, I guess, are quite easy to sort of question. I can testify. I, there have been many times I've had to apologise for being late to, to preach a sermon. I've had to say to the pastor, I'm sorry I've been stopped by the police. So uh, that may not be a story many of you could, could share. There are real reasons, here's my point, there's real reasons to expect tension when different types of ethnicities, different types of cultures come together. What therefore gave us confidence that the God that we worshipped could bring peace between all kinds of people. That's where I want us to focus this morning. And in this part of the Bible that I've just read, uh, we see that God is characterised by three things. Uh, God shows no favouritism. That's the first thing. Second thing, God offers peace. And third thing, God provides evidence that his claims and his promises are true. God provides evidence. We'll be looking at each of those in turn. But because we are thinking about culture and ethnicity this weekend, I'm going to probably spend slightly longer on the first point than the other two. So that's just so that you don't get too alarmed uh, as we go through. So, so just so you know where we are in the, the Bible story, I know you've been going through the book of Acts previously uh, as a church. Jesus has risen and ascended and his disciples have been given uh, uh, the, the message to, to share, the gospel message to share far and wide so that it goes out to Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So chapter 1 verse 8 is a key verse. And this is a key point, as I said, where Peter for the first time shares the, the message of Jesus uh, with someone from a very different culture and ethnicity to him. And we're going to dive straight in there at verse 34 and see what he says to him. Verse 34, Peter began to speak and he says this, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. God does not show favouritism. That is to say, he doesn't merely judge people on the basis of externals. He doesn't merely judge people on the basis of externals. He doesn't look at the clothes that they wear and say you're in and you're out. 
doesn't analyse the money that they have in their pocket and say, look, you come to the front, you sit at the back. It doesn't judge on the basis of externals. The Guardian newspaper uh, did an investigation about a year ago and they found that there had been 60,000 racist incidents uh, recorded in UK schools in the past five years. Uh, one of them uh, was an incident uh, related to someone who's called Child Q. You might have heard of this. as a 15-year-old uh, black girl who was strip-searched by police officers at school after one of the teachers claimed to be able to smell cannabis. Now, none was found during that search, and the police report that was uh, concluded after that said it seemed likely that uh, racism was a factor in this unjustified search. My point isn't that all teachers or all police or anything like that uh, are racist or uh, trying to be uh, biased. And yet, you can see in this example, people being treated unfairly on the basis of externals. Contrast that with God, who does not show favouritism. This is the picture throughout the Bible that all people, whether they're young, old, black, white, rich, poor, are worthy of respect, precious people to God. And it's fair to say that uh, Christians following this principle have done much to bring justice to our society over the years. I mean, schools have been built and orphanages have been founded and the poor have been looked after and plague, people with plague have been cared for. To the extent that back in the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Julian wrote words to this effect. He said, these Christians won't stop devoting themselves to caring for the poor, and not just their poor, but ours as well. That was the thing that struck Julian all those uh, years ago, that they considered all people of worthy of respect. And it's that characteristic, that characteristic of God, that gave us confidence that as we started this church, if it was a community built on Jesus, then it was a community that would seek to welcome all kinds of people, to welcome and respect all kinds of people, to root out disparity and discrimination. This is what led Wilberforce to labour to end the slave trade. It's why St John's Hampstead are bothered to have a weekend like this where we think about such issues. The value and worth and respect of every person is precious to God. This is the first thing. God shows no favouritism. And I want us to, to think very practically then about what that might look like, and particularly with respect to a society where there is, as I've tried to illustrate, evidence of racism, of discrimination. And what does it look like then as a community uh, to seek to address that? And this is where I want to just uh, point us to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I don't think it's possible to get a couple of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 10 uh, on the screen. This is a, wow, look at that. That's very snazzy, isn't it? <laughs> we don't have anything like this. Out. We need to get, get teched up. But this is, this is just a little snippet from uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, where God again is, is speaking about his very character. And he uses a slightly different word here. He uses the word partiality. I'll read it in a minute. He uses the word partiality, but it's got the same kind of meaning that we've been looking at in Acts 10. No favoritism. And I want us just to see three things about what flows out of his character because of this. So let me read from verse 17 there. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, awesome God who shows no partiality, accepts no 
bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Let me pull out three things. Firstly, public defence. Public uh, defence. Notice verse 18. He defends the cause of those on the margins. In this case, it says the fatherless uh, and the widow, those on the margins. So this is a surprising thing because it's saying that uh, showing no favouritism, no partiality, actually means looking out for those who are being treated unfairly. So that's interesting because often when people think about uh, showing no favouritism, they think about uh, trying not to really see difference between people. See, I, I, I um, uh, you know, they might say something like, I don't see colour, I don't see ethnic difference, because I just see all people as the same. But the point is, if you do that, you actually miss the opportunity to see where people might be treated differently, uh, where there might actually be a reason where people need to be particularly looked out for. And that's what we see in the very heart of God. He shows no partiality, but yet at the same time, he looks out for those who might be neglected or treated differently. And, and public defence specifically means, uh, for us, I think, calling out uh, discrimination when we see it, calling out racism, maybe, when we hear it. I, I was at a meeting uh, a little while ago, and uh, uh, in the course of the meeting, someone made a, a, a discriminatory comment, uh, an offhand uh, racist joke. And at the time, actually, I, I didn't hear it. I was distracted. I didn't, I didn't actually hear this. It didn't bother me particularly. Uh, but after the meeting, uh, a friend of mine, he came up to me and he said, did you hear what that, that person said? I, I just want to say, I heard that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, oh, thank you. I wasn't particularly bothered, but thank you for saying that. Uh, but he said, I'm so sorry. I just want you to know I'm going to go and just have a word with him. He shouldn't have said that. And I remember afterwards being struck by both his kindness and his courage. It's so easy in moments like that just to let something go. And of course, there are many times when the Bible would tell us to overlook an offence. And yet at the same time, he at this moment had said, you know what, I heard that, I know you, I love you, and I'm going to call that out, actually. I'm going to call that out. I'm not going to let it go. So, so question, will there be times where you call out racism, prejudice, when you see it? amongst minority ethnic groups, maybe class groups. That's uh, uh, equally an issue that we need to think about. People who are culturally different from one another in our community. Will there be times when you might call out uh, issues uh, when you see them? That's the first thing, public defence. The second thing, personal relationship. Personal relationship. So you notice in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says he knows... He shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves uh, the uh, alien. He loves uh, the person who is uh, different, the outsider. And um, yes, I'm just looking to see. I'm sure it says he loves the alien. He loves the. The, the one among you, and I'm trying to see if I'm just missing it because my eyes aren't seeing, but I'm sure it does say he loves the, the, the alien among you. Um, but point being, we see that there's a personal kind of relationship here, a personal kind of uh, knowing uh, and loving. 
Uh, the focus doesn't start out there, it actually starts among us in here. Uh, and in your church, uh, that's the first place that we might start to think, how do we love those who are maybe different among us? We've already heard a little bit about that from Tom as he stood up and said, look, this weekend is not a chance to see um, how can we look out for those who are different uh, among us, so the ones who we know least uh, among us. And when we care for people who are um, among us, it, it gives us personal motivation to care about prejudice that they might experience, to weep with those who are weeping, to bear the burdens of those who have burdens, to apologise and forgive where we may have uh, made mistakes, where they may have experienced uh, discrimination. And so, so this second thing is about loving uh, those who are uh, in our midst and perhaps those who are different from us. I um, was at a church recently and was doing a kind of audit of their welcome. And it was really interesting because I spoke to lots of people and experienced welcome myself uh, as I walked into the church and uh, had coffee afterwards and so on. And I actually experienced it as a very welcoming place. I came in, there was a great welcome team there and they welcomed me in and uh, gave, showed me somewhere to sit and made sure I was okay and interviewed a, people, a few people afterwards. But then, I, then as I began to do some deep dives with a few people, uh, I found a consistent theme which was really interesting. Uh, people who were from uh, a different ethnic background said this, a few of them said this, everyone is very welcoming when I walk in through the door but after the service, you never see them again. Isn't that striking? It, it was as if the, the, the kind of formal business of welcoming people in the church service, yeah, yeah, but we've got a real system around that, we do that very well, but afterwards it was as if everyone just disappeared. So superficially people were kind, but there were no real cross-cultural friendships, no real cross-cultural relationships. And we're going to dig into this in the next session, but here's the question to take away. Will we have an attitude of hospitality and welcome, loving not just our friends, but those who we might consider strangers, might consider more distant? A third little thing, um, a provision for the disadvantaged. And on Deuteronomy chapter 10, again, we see that, uh, that the Lord provides food and clothing uh, for those uh, who are on the margins in Deuteronomy 10, uh, verse 18, I think. And so are there ways, very simply, are there ways that we can serve uh, marginalised people <coughs> who might be around us, practically, I'm thinking here more outside of the church than in, but are there ways that we might serve those who are marginalised around us? The truth is, often uh, communities that are... Um, uh, sort of minority ethnic communities may well sometimes have various disadvantages uh, that have carried on for years and years uh, and therefore mean that they're in your local area there, there are certain sort of extra needs, uh, ways of supporting them. So at my church we set up a mentoring scheme uh, for uh, young people, particularly for people from uh, with black and brown skin who were disadvantaged in our area. So we mentor them, we provide some schooling, uh, we teach them about Jesus. That was a particular issue in our area. One of the things that we're finding across London is that um, many people who have been displaced, who are asylum seekers, for example, are ending up in hotels on our doorsteps, on the doorsteps of churches. 
And there's a real opportunity to, to go into churches where people are often living with lots of young kids in one room. And someone coming in, a group of people coming in and just offering to have a conversation, to uh, do some children's work for a couple of hours, can be a real blessing and opportunity to share about Jesus and show uh, love and provide for the disadvantaged. I was at a church recently where this happened. Uh, a guy from the church, the one who was leading the service, in fact, the day before, had been to the local hotel where he'd heard that there were some um, uh, Iraqi asylum seekers staying. And he'd gone along, tried to uh, make some friends. He'd, he'd got into conversation with two Iraqi men. And they, he struggled to, to, to speak English with them, but he tried to have a conversation. He'd given them his freedom pass and drew on a little hand-drawn map of the church in the hope that they would come to church the next day. I thought, freedom pass, these are the hard things to get hold of, the freedom pass. He handed over his freedom pass uh, to these guys and uh, this little hand-drawn map. And he told me this before the service, and I thought, oh, goodness me. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, we prayed and we started the service. Six of them came along to the church the next day. They're now reading the Bible uh, at that church. And you think, praise, praise God. Uh, this was on their doorstep. Uh, this guy had a heart to think, how can we serve these people who the Lord has put near us? And the Lord honoured that. Not always as easy or successful as that, but praise God. Praise God for these opportunities that he's opening up. So summary, God shows no favouritism. And we've thought a little bit about how that plays out, looking at the character of God in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Public defence, personal relationship, and provision for the disadvantaged. But I want to be clear as uh, we think about this, that having a great model doesn't mean that everyone necessarily follows that model perfectly. Doreen Brown arrived in the UK in 1956, she was age 16, part of what we'd now call the Windrush generation, and she described how her mother was turned away literally from the steps of uh, St uh, Peter's Church in Walworth simply because of the colour of her skin. And the church has had to apologise uh, for the fact that many didn't find warm welcome uh, back in the 1950s. Some did, but some didn't. And the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that followers of Jesus make mistakes. And in fact, uh, the writer here, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, remember he's been travelling around for a while telling people about Jesus. And did you notice what he writes in verse 34? It says that Peter began to speak, and it says, I now realise how true it is that God doesn't show favouritism. In other words, he's saying, look, he himself had been confused about who God welcomed, and he was on a journey of discovery. You see, sometimes our historic ways of thinking take time to unravel. And this is where the second thing comes in. Verse 36, God offers peace. Verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So God offers peace for the wrong things that we've done. So Christians believe, don't we, that when we do wrong things to one another, it's a symptom of our rejection of the living God. And here's a, a reminder from Peter that God shows uh, forgiveness. He offers peace uh, for this. There is forgiveness available for the wrongs that we've done. Uh, perhaps there have been times when we know we have slipped into racial offence, when we haven't welcomed well, when we uh, haven't called out 
injustice. But God offers peace. It's one of the big reasons we sing our hearts out Sunday by Sunday. It's one of the big reasons why we pray with passion, because the judgment that we deserve has been replaced by joy. Praise God. Praise God. And this peace does even more that's relevant to racial unity. It helps us to say sorry, and it provides us with power to change. When I say it helps us to say sorry, here's what I mean. I think one of the most touching things that I experienced in the last couple of years after the death of George Floyd was seeing friends and colleagues uh, email me, phone me, uh, text me, and, uh, and say sorry. Sorry for things that they might have said or done that could have been uh, offensive. Most of them were Christians. Uh, and I myself had to do similar things. Having brown skin uh, doesn't stop you from having prejudices. <laughs> and I too have had to sort of say sorry for ways in which I've, for example, not necessarily spoken up when some of my Asian brothers and sisters have been spoken ill of. So, and I found that when you know that you have been forgiven, when you know that you've been forgiven, despite your mistakes, when you know that you have peace with God, well, it makes, easier, it makes it easier for you to admit when you have messed up with other people, to say sorry to them. So that's the second thing, you see. This peace means that we are forgiven, but it also means that we can say sorry uh, to others. But, but the, the final little thing is it, it means that we have special power uh, to change as well. <coughs> special power to change. I'm going to uh, speak for a minute uh, uh, of an example of a, of a newspaper article or a, the front cover of a magazine. If you're a teenager here, I want you to listen particularly carefully um, because some of you will be doing history, no doubt. Who's, who's a teenager here doing history? Well, there's one, there's one. So it's all on you. It's all on you, I'm afraid. So here's the thing. What's your name? Eliana. No pressure, Eliana. So, so the year is 1945, Eliana. And Life magazine in America, they, they publish the, the, the front page of their, their magazine. And on the front page of their magazine, there are people embracing one another. And on the front, the very front middle of the picture, you've got a, a soldier embracing a civilian woman, they're, they're just embracing, hugging. And behind them, there are soldiers embracing other soldiers. And behind them, you've got civilians embracing other civilians. And if you look further enough in the background, you can even see soldiers embracing other civilians. And if you looked at this picture, superficially, you might think that these were all long-lost friends. You see the, the sort of love and compassion that they seem to have for one another. But actually, none of these people knew each other at all. Eliana, the year was 1945. <laughs> Have you got any idea what was going on in that picture? And you can phone a friend. You can ask others to help you <laughs> if the pressure feels too much. Anyone want to help out Eliana? What was going on? 1945. The end of World War Two. That was a real team effort. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me, Eliana. I appreciate that. So the year was 1945. It was the end of World War Two, And of course, the wonderful testimony of that picture is that good news brings people together. Good news has the power to bring people together. But often, good news like that can bring people together for a few moments. 
in the euphoria of it. But the Bible's claim is that the good news of peace with the Lord Jesus Christ gives us spiritual power to be brought together. Different people with power to change, to love people who are different for us in a permanent, powerful way. See, this is why God is the key for racial unity, because he not only gives us pardon for the things that we've done wrong, but he gives us power to change. We know forgiveness for our mistakes, yes, which means we keep trying, even when we get it wrong. But we also have power to connect with people who are different from us, which means we can model a different kind of community uh, to the world. So look, first thing was uh, God shows no favouritism. Second thing, God uh, uh, offers us peace. Final thing, God provides uh, evidence. Evidence that his claims are true. Peter wants us to know, wanted the people he was speaking to to know that what he was talking about was historical and verifiable. Just uh, run with me quickly through uh, the text of Acts chapter 10. Verse 37, uh, Peter says, You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. In other words, it was public knowledge. I can't make this up. Everyone can see the historical things that have been going on. In verse 39, he says, We are witnesses of everything he, that is Jesus, did in the country of the Jews. Verse 41, the same. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. And he outlines the story of Jesus through these verses. And finally, in verse 43, he says, Look, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. His, his point here is that, is that he is a witness to what has happened. There's evidence, and the evidence even goes back through the history uh, of uh, the, the Christian faith and the prophets who spoke before him. We are witnesses. We are witnesses. And my question for us uh, as we draw to a close is what will we do uh, with the evidence uh, that we have? Uh, in 2010, a woman called Kelly Harnett was sentenced to 17 years in prison to life for a crime that she didn't commit. And at her trial, there was one eyewitness uh, to this incident that had happened. And uh, if you'd seen the trial, uh, the defence lawyer uh, stood up before the, uh, the witness and said, uh, look around, do you see the person who um, committed the crime in the courtroom? And uh, the witness looked around and said, no, they're not here. And the defence lawyer wanted to make absolutely sure, so he said again, look carefully, do you see the person who committed the crime? And uh, uh, the uh, witness said, no, they're not here. And yet the jury con convicted Kelly anyway. In other words, they'd made up their mind without properly considering the evidence. Her, her retrial was only last year, and she was released. They ignored the solid testimony of the witness. And sometimes I think we can do that. We can ignore the biblical eyewitnesses. So look, as we finish, I want to just ask us, what will we do with the eyewitness testimony that we've heard today? If you're a Christian... Well, we can forget to treat people with the respect that they deserve, maybe make unfair judgments on the basis of appearance. Will we remember the evidence? God does not show favoritism. Will we consider again what the witnesses say? 
that when we mess up, we can get really discouraged and down and want to give up. If that's us, will we remember the evidence? God offers peace. Will we consider again what the witnesses say? If we're a non-Christian, we too can ignore the evidence. The fact that there is this problem between us and God, that there needs to be um, forgiveness for the things that we have done wrong. Will we ignore the evidence? Or will we look again and examine uh, what uh, the evidence says? Uh, there's so much more I could say. I, I realise I've gone over my time. I'm going to uh, draw to a close here. Three reasons we've seen uh, that, uh, that give us confidence that God can build a different kind of community among us. Three reasons why Wilberforce laboured to end the slave trade. Three reasons why St uh, John's as a church committed to, to thinking through these issues. God shows no favouritism. God offers peace and God provides evidence. What will you do today with the words of the witnesses? Let's bow our heads and pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much for uh, Peter's testimony here. We thank you so much for his uh, reminder and clarification and encouragement and exhortation to remember that, that you, Lord God, show no favouritism. Uh, we know we live in a world where that is uh, not the case, where actually very often uh, people are treated uh, differently in unfair ways uh, because of externals. And we pray that uh, as St John's we would be different. It would be a community that in fact uh, welcomes all kinds uh, of people. Pray, Father, for a remembrance of those times when we have got it wrong, that we would know that you offer peace through uh, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We pray too, Father, that as we uh, move forward, as we seek to uh, make progress and persevere in this area, that we'd remember uh, the evidence that you put before us, that this is what you are like, and this is what you promise, that there is power available for those who remember the, the work of reconciliation that you accomplished through your death, the death of your son on the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.